0: And uh, then we looked at God's favor, how God's favor is beginning to be poured out on the Gentiles, something that God had alluded to and pointed to throughout uh, the Old Testament scriptures. But as we'll see today, continue that the Jewish people still didn't get it. They were still caught up in a lot of uh, the legalese, and they missed the point of it all. And we saw that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles, that God does not show favor. He does not have favoritism. He doesn't favor the rich or the poor, uh, the strong or the weak or whether you're born uh, Gentile, Greek, Canadian, whatever. He doesn't show uh, favor. Um, He loves us all. But uh, this time, this morning, we're going to look at uh, how the word spreads of uh, what's going on among the Gentiles. We're going to see, as usual, there's opposition to what God's doing. Uh, Peter gives an explanation to that opposition, and we're going to see that there begin to be Christians in other nations. And again, just a few quick questions as we get into the study. You know, some things to think about. What is life? Is it just living? Is it just breathing? Is it just some uh, sign on an EKG? You know, uh, we've had family members who have had Alzheimer's. And while the world might look on and say that they're gone, we've spent time with them and prayed with them and and shared the Bible with them. And you can see something was sparking on the inside that, yeah, they didn't have the ability to communicate it. And I say, maybe they didn't have the ability to understand it but they were still inside. Uh, we've had other family members who are sick and who are unresponsive, basically a vegetable, the doctors would say. But are they still inside? Are they still there? I would believe so as long as they're alive. You know, I don't, I don't know that you can keep um, the, the corpse alive long enough, even with the technology we have, That they're still there and there's still hope. As long as there's life uh, for us, I believe there's still hope to turn to the gospel. Um, you know, at some point, obviously, you know, we need to be in prayer about those situations because those are hard things and seek the Lord on the answers because uh, it's, it's a difficult thing. It's not necessarily uh, black and white when you get into the details. But is life, is it more than that? Is it is it perhaps, is it having everything you want? Having everything you want is this day and age, you know. Go out and get it and you'll have life. Your life will be better if you have the new iPhone 12 and the brand new car with the whatever it is on it, you know. Or maybe it's the reverse of that. Is it having nothing you desire? Is maybe um, certain Eastern religions might teach you to get rid of anything that you might desire and wear a robe and go to the airport or whatever it is. You know, that's where you have life, you know. Uh, Maybe is it all fun and games until someone loses an eye, maybe you heard growing up? Is life unfair? Is it YOLO? You know, you only live once, so do everything you want. But with that, you know, what do we want to get out of life? What do we want to get out of life? You know, what is our number one? goal in life this is something that i think the lord's been kind of uh awakened me up to recently really kind of considering you know what is the goal of my life and not in the sense of well, i'm going to create a five-year plan and have a goal that i'm going to try and reach in my own but really you know what am i living for what is uh, uh is living for him the primary thing or is it just sort of going along with my day-to-day duties and what would make you and i happy what would you make you and i ultimately happy maybe we're going through life and we're unhappy because we don't have something I wonder what that is. You know, maybe it's a bigger house. Maybe it's a bigger car. Maybe it's a raise. Maybe it's, I don't know, living at the beach. I don't know. Uh, But really, maybe it's something more than that. Maybe even those things, we'll find out, as uh, Solomon says, won't satisfy. But Jesus said in John 10.10, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with this verse, it says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I have come that they may have life and they may have it, more abundantly that the life Jesus gives us is more abundant than anything we can expect or anything that we have um you know sometimes we have to lay down our lives to find it we have to lose our life as the scripture would say in order to find it you know again but it doesn't matter who we are where we're from or what we've done god loves us you know I, as i'm studying i'm thinking man maybe i just want to do a message on how much god loves us because again god's been hammering that home in my life man do we realize do we get it and i know that we don't i know we could spend all eternity and we're still not going to totally get it we're going to enjoy it but i don't know that we'll ever understand it but god loves us god loves us and there's only one way to have that life and that's by letting him love us and being submitted to that love for us but again lord we we do ask that this morning you would just show us even more how much you love us help us see it and taste it just a little bit more. But God, would you speak to us in the scriptures and fill us with your spirit this morning that we might truly have the life abundant that you've given us and help us to live uh, for you and by you, in Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 11, let's read the first 11 verses here together. Uh, Verse one, now when the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, and those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men, and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object uh, descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing uncommon or unclean is at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. I going to stop right there for now. Gentile versus Jew. Gentile versus Jew. It says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. I'm sure that you guys are familiar with the difference, but uh, Jews were Jewish people. They were from the descendants of Abraham. Uh, they were ethnically and religiously uh, Jewish. Um, you, could, you could not be Jewish by descent, and there was a process for you to become Jewish um, uh, through the law and through different uh, rituals and things where you could uh follow the god of the jews but there was still the outer court of the gentiles where you came and worship but there was this outer court where uh they were uh, allowed and gentiles basically is anyone who's not from abraham anyone who was uh born of another nation uh pagan nation and the jews again looked down upon the gentiles you know over the years they had gotten puffed up over having the law and being the people that god chose and god showed up to and god used to to move in other nations um and so they really began to look at the Gentiles as, as lesser people. There were, you know, ceremonially, ceremonially unclean laws where if you were even uh, had your garment touched by a Jew, if you're a real religious Jewish garment touched by a Gentile, if you're really a religious Jew, where you'd have to go through this whole cleansing process and you couldn't go to a temple and all these other things. Um, you know, you could not have fellowship with them. You could not be close with them. Um, it was uh, very strict, very strict. Um, And so I think that's part of the reason why they were so um, upset here. But in verse two, it says, those are the circumcision contended with him. And I love that uh, the scripture says, those are the circumcision. It begins calling uh, the Jewish people uh, who maintained by the law. Those are the circumcision. The Abrahamic covenant where God said, hey, show the sign of the covenant. Circumcise your son on the eighth day. And this was sort of a physical sign, a, a representation of cutting away of the flesh and being devoted and sanctified to God. And, uh, but you know, Jesus said, um, in Matthew three, seven through nine, actually it says, but when many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of the vipers, this is sorry, John the Baptist, not Jesus in Matthew three, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up a children to Abraham from these stones. You know that they were so committed to this law, they were so committed to the law of Abraham, uh, that they really took pride in it, and they thought that they were something special in a sense apart from God's promise to them. And even John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, says, "Hey, God doesn't need you to be sons of Abraham. He it doesn't matter to him. He could make new sons of Abraham out of these rocks. Your adherence to the law and your ethnic background does not make you righteous in God's sight." I think it's interesting that you know that they refer to that now by their commitment to that law. You know, what is their major contention? Verse 3, it says that you went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. That they had this fellowship with men. You know, the, the, they showed up at the door. Peter and some other believers went with them. They went to the house. They shared the gospel there. They stayed there for a few days. That there was this connection there. There was this intimacy there. You know, you stay at someone's house. It's pretty intimate. You know, that's where the towels are. Can I go in your fridge? You know there's a whole connection you're touching the same things, you're eating the same things, and to them in their mind, this would make them very unclean, very unclean. Uh, we still see that in different places around the world where there's definitely like a caste system. I think you could even extrapolate it to um I was out uh glasses uh shopping yesterday uh my prescription's getting a little old, so it's time to upgrade them and uh I'm there, and I was trying out a pair of glasses, and they were a little tight around the ears. And the guy said, "Oh, I can just put them in this heat thing and bend them so that they don't—they're not straight." I'm like, "You can do them to the to the show model." And He goes, "Well, actually, if you get these, these are going to be your actual glasses. You know, if you have a phobia about that or whatever, I'll go uh, you know—we can order your special pair." I'm like, "No, it doesn't matter." He's like, "Some people uh, get kind of worried about that. You know, where we have this germophobia, where <laughs> someone else touched it, I can't touch it. You know, I'm that way in a public restroom. I don't want to touch a thing. But you know, I'm buying the glasses. Big deal. You know." <laughs> But some people really kind of get through that. And I think if we think about that in a religious term, people don't want to be touched. Oh, someone else touched it? Oh, a Gentile touched it? I I can't be around that. You were hanging out with them? And they thought, man, that there was this spiritual something wrong with Peter for hanging out with them. So I think in their minds, they confronted him in a righteous way. Peter, what's going on here? We need to get this sorted out. Uh, You know, even uh, Peter recognized that in chapter 228. says, you know how unlawful it is? for a Jew to keep company with a Gentile, that you couldn't uh, do that. Uh, And again, there was still this justification by law in their minds. There was still this idea in their minds that even though we believe in Jesus, even though Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that we still have this connection to the law, that we still need to be separate and apart. You know, in their minds, the Messiah was just for them, that the Messiah of the Jewish people came just for them for the jewish people again that kind of ties into their whole political idea where they thought he was going to rise up and overthrow rome but they still were kind of closed-minded yes god was god was working but he was kept in that box with them but god can't be kept in a religious box of laws um, that used to make them feel righteous um, again those laws they couldn't save they couldn't do anything but condemn in a sense and they pointed to the one who could save them. they pointed to jesus who fulfilled the law You know, Jesus says here in Matthew 23, 27 through 28, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, he says, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's huge. These people that obey the law to the letter of the law completely and zealously Jesus says, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness, that their mouth is like an open tomb. When they open their mouth and out comes stuff, is this stench, this bad stench that no amount of brushing your teeth or teeth whiteners can fix." Um, You know, and again, I think it's because they were trying to find righteousness in the law, by the law, but without God. It's like, how can we expect to be righteous without God? How can we expect to follow a law that we obviously don't obey without God in it? And I think that's a big problem in in the church and in the world today. I think, you know, not to get into these silly controversies, I could care less, but people flip out over the color of coffee cups. And I think part of it, I go, okay, I can kind of make an argument for that because all of a sudden we didn't want to talk about Christmas. We don't want anything to look like Christmas. It's a winter holiday. We want to get Jesus out of everything. You know, they were listing even all the holidays on on the board at work throughout the year, all these like hundreds of holidays throughout the year. They're doing some promo for something, and like Easter and Lent is listed, but Christmas is nowhere on there. And I'm like, somebody celebrates Christmas somewhere, don't you pass gifts? But think about it: we took Jesus out of Christmas, we took Christmas out of Christmas. Now it's just some generic winter holiday where we give gifts. But now we want to start introducing the Christmas elements again—the red and green that we all miss and the warmth. But man, it's an outrage because we don't talk about Jesus anymore. Because it's now the red and green holiday. Because man, people just don't want Jesus. And anything and I think that that, uh, that transfers over to the church too, where I mean, man, we want to have laws, we want to have regulations, we want to have boards, we want to have decisions, we want to have plans, and not that there's anything necessarily wrong with any of those steps, but when we lose sight of who the one is that we're supposed to be following, who the one is that we're supposed to be holy for, um, things get off, and we begin to miss the opportunities to minister uh, to people. But these guys, again, these were righteous, all right? Matthew 5.20, Jesus says, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, again, they were righteous, but not in God's eyes. They were righteous in their own eyes. And and that's not something I want to be found of when when I get to heaven one day. I go, man, I'm good. I'm doing good. And then God's like, nope, you missed it. You missed it. You know, there's that saying that rules without relationship only leads to... To rebellion. I think you can find that with kids. I know that uh, if I find my kids rebelling more uh, often than not, I go, well, how much time did I really spend with them today? Were they just trying to get my attention for the past couple of minutes? And not that it's necessarily always my fault if they rebel. I mean, there's sin in them, unfortunately. Um, but really, a lot of times when we don't have a relationship with someone who's giving the law, we don't want to listen to them. That's uh, just our rebellion, rebellious nature. But verse 4, uh, Peter explained to them in order from the beginning he says uh saying i was in the city of joppa praying in a trance i saw a vision you know he goes through this whole backtrack of a couple chapters ago uh, but he coolly and calmly explains it to them you know getting angry he's not going to win any arguments with with these guys yeah god resisted pride gives grace to the humble uh, but he coolly and calmly explains it, like listen guys god gave me a vision God brought this sheet down. I was hungry. As the sheet came down, he spoke to me. Uh, I didn't really quite understand it right away. God had explained it to me. He brought these people to me, put it in order, and he explained it from the beginning. He's defending himself, I think, but only to the point that he's explaining to them the truth of the gospel. You know, we don't really need to go out and explain every little thing we do to everyone. I mean, sometimes my daughter asks me, why, why, why? And I'll explain everything to her from the beginning. Um, But we don't necessarily need to explain ourselves to the world. Um... But in the point that he's doing this, he's, he's bringing them the full gospel, the truth of the gospel. Uh, as a friend used to say, you know, God's love is free, it's for you, and it's for everyone. Um, and that's something that they missed. That's something that the law missed. Because if, if you're adhering to the law, you're expecting to earn God's love by the law. And so if you're obeying the law, and some other people don't even have the law, well, you're going to begin to look at them differently because you think you've, you've attained something uh, by your actions. But I think it's important to explain things to the people, sometimes patiently and clearly and from the beginning for them to get it. Um, again, I think sometimes the sin issue isn't clear until we take things back to the very beginning, to Genesis, to the creation. Uh, we think about uh, ministries like Answers in Genesis. When they go through Genesis and they show that, yeah, Genesis happened. Yes, you can believe in Genesis. Yes, there is a truth there. And I think partly, that's why it's no wonder the enemy wants to uproot the truth of creation. Because if you take away the creator, there's no accountability. If you take away the creation story, well, then there's no purpose in your life. Um, and if you say you have to be accountable to sin, if you walk up to someone on the street and say, use the way of the master, which is very good and it works, sometimes you have to go back to the beginning because, well, what do I have to, why do I have to be held accountable to these Jewish laws? What do the Jewish people have to do to, with me? Well, the God who made you, who made everything said that these things were right and wrong and that's pretty authoritative you know it's like knowing the one in charge um sometimes at work i wish i could say do this differently or do this differently or kick back and give an answer but i don't have that authority i'm just the guy uh doing design and i have input and in all these things and it's a good work environment but really it's like if i say something or the ceo says something there's a big difference there in the authority you know the CEO has all the authority, and I, and I don't. I think that's the same thing. When we become accountable to God's laws, we have to know the one who made the laws how to be accountable to it. And I think I'm probably going to not start calling it evolution anymore. I'm going to start calling it Darwinism, because that's exactly what it is. It's religion. Um, I'm not, you know, I've, I have some scientist friends, uh, back in New York and we've talked about microevolution and the diversification of species where you get all different types of frogs and different things like that. I'm not debating necessarily that per se. I mean, it's still a frog at the end of the day. It doesn't turn into a cat. You know, you're not going to find any interme- intermediate, uh, evidence, but Darwinism is his religion. You know, Darwin, I think his dad tried to force him to go seminary. He didn't want to go. He went on the boat and that's when he had all these crazy, all these theories, um, but basically, uh, his religion says there's no God and that there's no creation, that it's evolution. It's something we just started spawning, life kept happening, survival, of the fittest kept growing and growing. And since we're the highest life form that makes us God and to make our own decisions on morality. So if we weren't created, we don't have anyone to be accountable for. If we evolved ourselves over the time, of course, of evolution, uh, that man, we can make our own decisions because we're the, the smartest species. We're at the top. Um, you know, I think of, uh, I think of this issue and people think about survival of the fittest and you look at the sinful lifestyles that people use and justify with that, I go, well, you would never survive without it. You know, people think homosexuality is this wonderful thing. And yet if you follow the laws of even Darwin (laughs) survival of the fittest and you take away all modern technology, they're not going to survive. They're not going to procreate. You're not going to create more people. You're all going to die out eventually. Um, And that's something, you know, we could really get into, but even things like the Christmas debate, like why do we even, if you don't want to celebrate Christmas, why do you go out and buy gifts? If you want to call it some holiday, you know, we just really just don't want to celebrate Jesus. We want all the good things that God gives us, but we don't want to celebrate them. And I think that's the same heart with the law. We want all the good things that the law gives us, but we don't want the one who gave us the law. Um, You know, that saying, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out. There's that authority there uh, behind the one who gave the law. But Peter explained all that happened. Uh, he talked about the sheep. He talked about, he told to eat it and not to call common what God has called clean. And, and that God said this to him and showed this to him three times. Three times. Again, we talked about recently, you know, Peter um, denied Jesus three times. Peter asked him, do you love me? Three times. Told him to feed his sheep. And again, not to take too much out of it. Uh, not to get into numerology and all this stuff. I think there's an importance to numbers in the Bible. I think that there's, you could find different things in scriptures like, Uh, not so much as the Bible code, but there's certain patterns and things that you can see that are very good to take away, but it's not what God intends us. It's not the primary intent of the Scripture. When we come to Scripture, God wants us to read it and clearly understand it, but I think if we think about the number three, it's kind of interesting. It's used uh, 467 times in the Bible. It pictures completeness, though a lesser degree than seven. Uh, the meaning of this number derives from the fact that it was the first four spiritually perfect numerals, uh, whatever that means. The three righteous patriarchs for the flood were Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And after that was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus prayed three times in the garden. He was placed on the cross at the third hour, died at the ninth hour 3 p.m. There were three hours of darkness. He was in the ground three days. Uh, there's all these different appearances the Numbers uh, 3, the three guys who were at the transfiguration, and all these things. So I think that uh, the point is here is that God did it three times because he wanted Peter to be sure. He wanted to get the message home to Peter and show that it was a godly thing, that it wasn't just uh, a daydream of a hungry Peter, but that it happened over and over and that there was a a witness and an evidence here. Um, And Again, uh, let's not put too much weight on that number specifically, but God likes to make a point. And like we spoke about recently, we need to hear it over and over and over sometimes. Sometimes we're praying about something, but we just doubt it or we don't get it or whatever it is, God will repeat it. We'll hear it in a message. We'll hear it on the radio. We'll hear it on our devotion. Our friend will share something with us. God keeps bringing it home uh, to us. Let's go on to verse uh, 12 through 18. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Excuse me, this water is getting to me if therefore God gave them uh, the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Peter says, when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Peter says that the spirit told him to go doubting nothing. I think that's great. You know, Peter's out there. We, uh, whole message on this a couple uh, weeks ago but he's out there and he has the vision um, and he's not really sure what to make of it you know it says he's kind of really thinking about it up there he sees it and he's thinking about it but the spirit tells him to go doubting uh, says Peter stop doubting don't worry I think that's great that there's this confirmation of the Holy Spirit there and we're going to find that when God begins to speak to us things that he will confirm it for us you know he doesn't expect us Sort of to take a blind leap of faith, so to speak. But, uh, you know, sometimes we'll have a vision and God will give us a word. You know, Peter saw the vision and then Jesus spoke to him and gave him a, ver- a word. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Um, and don't call common what God has uh, made clean. And then there's an order. I want you to go. I want you to go, Peter. Um, doubting nothing. Doubting nothing. The Holy Spirit confirms it. And then there's this coincidence, so to speak. You know, I've heard it say there's no such thing as coincidence, but a god where... He has this vision about Gentiles and God reaching the Gentiles. And who shows up at the door as soon as it's done? Gentiles. I mean, it'd be kind of weird. Imagine you're taking a nap later and you wake up and feel like God's speaking to you. and Then all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. That's not really coincidence in my book. Um, and again, not that we're going to seek after signs or coincidences, but I think that God can use them. Um, and then there's this accompaniment where as he goes, as he steps out, as he shares and these people show up, Other believers around him see it, and they want to be a part of it. You know, God will begin to bring about more and more things into our lives to confirm what he's speaking to us about. God wants us to get it. God wanted Peter to understand it. God wanted to remove the doubt in Peter's life, and he wants to do the same thing in our life. He wants us to get the point. When God begins to speak to us about an issue, whether it's some issue at work, or it's an issue that sin that we're struggling with, or it's an issue of man, maybe God's calling you to go somewhere. He's calling you to go to China or he's calling you to go to your neighbors or whatever. He'll begin to, I mean, those, those things are kind of obvious in a sense, but he'll begin to bring them out and, and help us understand because he wants us to get it. He's not up there just spitting out commands and, and telling us to, uh, to figure it out on ourselves. Um, this past week I read this, uh, article, um, about effective communication in business. And it was just something I was reading on my downtime, but, uh, they quoted this army general this retired general and he said that i forget what the method was called but it's like this three-step method where he barks the commands at them and then they respond the commands what they've heard back to him and then he then gives them more information whether yes or no you got it right or wrong And i think that he said it's very effective and that's the way the military works apparently so that as he gives the command maybe something wasn't totally clear to the one he's given the command to so as they begin to tell him the command back he begins to sort it out and straighten it out in their minds. And, you know, the Lord wants us to do that with him. You know, God speaks to you in a verse in your, in your study. And as you pray to him and speak to him about it, God, well, you, this is what you say in your word. This is what you mean, right? And we begin to make it clear in that way. And in verse 16, it says, I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I love that he remembered, uh, the word of the Lord. Uh, you know, God is faithful to remind us of his word and that's why we need to be in it. Um, for a while I used to carry around a travel Bible all the time and then I kind of got hooked into the whole app thing. So I use the app a lot and I use the app now sometimes cause the lights are out and I'm reading the Bible with the kids and everything, uh, sleeping. So I don't wake them, but I ordered another little travel Bible this week and, uh, because I, I like to read King James on my own, and the ones I have are New King, so I order another one. And I'm hoping that I begin to pick up that habit again and read in the car, read at lunch, and other things. Um, because it's so good to be in the Word of God over and over. Because the, not that God won't remind us of Scripture that we haven't even thought about in years, but man, if we're in it all the time, um, it's much easier for Him to remind us, I think. Uh, but we see baptism. Uh, John the Baptist had baptism under repentance. But baptism in the Holy Spirit, I think it's baptism in a sense from repentance. That man, John was out there bringing people to show their repentance by baptizing. That that act was their repentance because the Messiah hadn't come. But now that the Holy Spirit has come, it's almost like I've already repented. I've put my faith in Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit comes upon me, and now I'm baptized to go and do the works of God. You know, again, they're close and powerful. Uh, but it's only because of Jesus on the cross that uh, this can happen, and Peter remembers that Jesus told him that this is what's going to happen. As you go and share with people, the Holy Spirit's going to fall on them. They're going to come to know me, and they're going to be empowered by me. And what a gift that is! How much uh, it's beautiful to be able to baptize somebody. I look forward to being able to do that again one day. But man, to be able to share with someone and let the Spirit come on them and let their life be under uh, the control of the Lord—that's uh, uh, that's a much better gift, a much better gift. But verse 17, he says, uh, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, if therefore, he begins to reason with them. He's explained it from the beginning. He's calmly rebutted their accusations and their uh, opposition to him. Um, But he begins to, uh, sorry, I lost my place there. He begins to explain to them and reason with them. We see that Paul does that. And I think that's important too that, man, sometimes people don't understand what you're saying and you have to really reason with them and say, well, look, God did it for us and he's doing it again for them. That sort of makes sense. Um, you know, it's the witness of God doing the work. All these things, you know, if Peter had this vision and he said God spoke to him and all these other things, but we don't see God doing the work, well, then there's, there's probably an issue there. If God doesn't begin to go out and do the work, we really need to question man, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Did God really speak to me? Because I don't see God doing it. And sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes a long time. If you listen to missionaries, they do work for years and nothing happens. Um, man, that's, that's got to be a hard place. But we see here that God began to do the work. God gave him the vision. These people show up at the door. They go there. They share. And what happens? God shows up in a big way. Um, and he says, how could I stand against God? You know, I doubted. I said, no, Lord. God showed me. I tried not to doubt. I went with them. I shared the gospel. God begins to do work. All right. How can I even begin to stand against that work of God? Uh, it reminds me of when they were arrested, when Gamaliel in Acts 5.39 said, hey, this is of God. You guys can't stop it. You guys can't stop it. But if it's not, it'll it'll fizzle out. You know, again, even if Peter wanted to hold to his doctrine of the law, he couldn't because God was moving outside of the box. God had left, in a sense, the Ark of the Covenant. You know, there was a Holy of Holies. The high priest can only go in there once a year. The Shekinah glory of God was on between the cherubim. There was the, the covenant in there, the rod that that, uh, that budded, and uh, there was manna, and their blood would sprinkle over the, of the covenant. And then when Jesus died on the cross, as we know, the veil was torn from top to bottom. Now what happens? God's Shekinah glory can now fall and rest on where he chooses, on whom he chooses, and people uh, can be in God's presence without fearing uh, for their lives, you know, this kind of glory was everywhere. And Peter said, how can I contend with that? How can I contend with God being everywhere? And I love in verse 18, it says, when they heard these things, they became silent. And they became silent, man. All right, we, ha- we were angry. We were upset with you. We were upset about this thing that's going on. But this is it. This totally makes sense. Um, their opposition was silenced. <laughs> it was silenced by the lamb. You know that, man, they were the lamb of God silenced them. The answer of God silenced them, and and that's the truth. I think that these guys, in their zeal for the law, were genuinely zealous. They were genuinely seeking the Lord because their response is right. They glorified God. They said, yep, this is the Lord. This is the Lord. They didn't revile Peter and try and arrest him or kill him, like we see the hearts of some other people in the Scriptures. Although they initially opposed it because they were devoted to God and the law of God, they truly wanted to know God's answer on things. And I think that that's important for us too, that man, sometimes when God begins to do something in our lives, maybe we oppose it. Oh God, I don't want to go there. I don't want to eat bugs. You know, I don't want to do that. But as we begin to listen to what God says, see what God's doing, listen to the counsel, listen to the reasoning, really consider it and lay aside our prejudices and lay aside our, uh, preconceived notions of where God fits in a box. Um, we begin to really see uh what god's answers for things are and, and I, I don't mean to take that to the nth degree and say uh, like the emergent church or do anything weird or anything that's unscriptural per se but man i think we miss it a lot when we get stuck in um when we get stuck in the box of our own life really we begin going about our day-to-day life and it's the same rigid day get up at this time brush your teeth put these clothes on eat this for breakfast go this way to work Uh, you know, do this at work, come home, you know, we just get into our routine. And sometimes God wants to break us out of that routine uh, in him, or even just change up our routine a little bit. But they said that God has also granted the Gentiles repentance to life. And I think that that's the key here, because that's the way we have life with God. It's repentance to life. It's not just repentance to go and do something else. It's man, you turn away from sin, which is death. You repent from that, you turn around and you're given life. You're given real life. And we must repent before we can have that life. You know, godly life comes no other way. Godly life does not come through obeying a law. does not come through wearing a robe or eating a food or hanging out with certain people. Godly life comes through repentance. coming and say, God, I am sinful. Help me to live your life. Show me how to live a life that is holy and set apart for you. Help me to choose that life. Um, we think about it in marriages or relationships. Before there's a healing, before there's... Uh, a correction and something that was wrong there there has to be repentance you can't just gloss over it in the same way with our relationship with god we can't just gloss over with nice laws and clean up the house and say that everything's okay um you know uh, we need to repent and be given life there's this car scandal right now this car company's in a lot of trouble because they were cheating on all these emissions tests and and yeah it was wrong what they did but you know i think that the emissions standards that they give them are ridiculous anyway but They're now giving their employees until the end of November to confess if they were involved in this. It's almost like, all right, you guys need to confess and repent and we're not going to press charges against you. Um, The company is going to take the rep. And I think that they're trying to clean house that way. That's the same thing with the Lord, man. Uh, Things have gone wrong in our lives. We've been cheating on tests our whole life, whether we realize it or not, on righteousness, thinking that we're right because we do something or stand up for something or post an outrage over a red cup or whatever it is that, that makes us more righteous or not. But God's given us time to confess it and repent uh, before he comes. And and if we truly want a godly life, if we truly want the life that God has for us, we have to repent. We have to repent. You know, I I mean, I've met a lot of people who like want to follow God, but when it comes down to repentance, they, like that rich young ruler, they walk away sorrowful. I've got so much. If I repent, I'm not going to have all these things that I like anymore, even though they're sinful. And let that... Not be us, because if we want to grow in the Lord, we need to, um, we need to let go of the things that uh, hold us back. Verse 19 we will read a few verses here. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Cyprus, rose over Stephen, excuse me, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them, who were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with the purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. You know, we're backtracking here a little bit to a few chapters ago. We see those who were scattered. If we Remember, Stephen was martyred. He was killed. Paul was there uh, as a young man consenting, holding the coats of the guys who were stoning him. And that's when this uh, big persecution really begins to happen in the church. And the church actually gets scattered, and they move around um, to other places where they're not... Persecuted so they can live um, and then we see Saul begins actually persecuting the church before he comes to know God um, and it says here that uh, they scattered out the persecution that arose traveled as far as Phoenicia Cyprus and Antioch, you know Up in the modern-day Israel up in the the western coast of the Mediterranean into Lebanon into Syria also into uh, Cyprus that island off the coast in Antioch, which is um, Modern-day Turkey, you know, they expanded out pretty far. They started going north and west so again, you see more, we see more Jewish people coming to know the Lord as they scatter. Um, but they preached to the Jews only. Again, I think they were very myopic. Like, I need to get my eyes checked. I'm nearsighted. <laughs> they, they could only see what was in front of them, that God was reaching the Jewish people and not the Gentiles. They were keeping Messiah still in that box of the law and of uh, um, what they thought was right and what they thought God wanted to do. Again, like they thought God was going to be this political Messiah, and he wasn't. He was a spiritual Messiah. He will be one day. Uh, Political, but not right now. Um, But we see, even in the midst of all that, God was still working. God was doing great things, saving a lot of people, a lot of Jewish people. But indeed, God wanted to do more and he intended to do more. Um, And again, you see them reaching the hellness. These Jewish people who were Jewish by uh, culture, not culture, Jewish by birth and maybe even obeyed the laws, but they're living in other societies and other cultures. Um, And a great number turned to the Lord. And and, and how did this great number turn to the Lord? Well, it was by preaching and the Holy Spirit. It wasn't by fancy programs. It wasn't by coming up with a marketing scheme. It was by sharing the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit among the people. Um, Oswald Chambers, uh, my utmost for his highest, from uh, the ninth says, um, I think it was the ninth. When we preach the historical facts of the life and death of our Lord as they are conveyed in the New Testament, Our words are made sacred. God uses these words on the basis of his redemption to create something in those who listen, uh, which otherwise could never have been created. If we simply preach the effects of redemption in the human life instead of the revealed divine truth regarding Jesus himself, The result is not new birth in those who listen. The result is a refined religious lifestyle, and the Spirit of God cannot witness to it because such preaching is in a realm other than His. We must make sure that we are living in such harmony with God that as we proclaim His truth, He can create in others those things which He alone can do. I think that's powerful. I think that's a problem with the church at Holiday, that the church preaches sermonettes for Christianettes, so to speak, Here's how to live a good life. Here's how to have the things in life you want. Here's what God says about this and what God says about that. But they, again, miss God in all of it. The message might be good and it might be something that's holy in a sense Where, it, but really as, uh, it says here that it's just giving them a refined religious lifestyle. Their lifestyle is just one of religion. One of like the Jews here following the law is that the gospel doesn't go out. That their life isn't led by the Holy Spirit. That, yeah, they're a Christian, quote-unquote, but it's not the priority in their life, that they're not free and open to the work that God wants to do. And I love how it says, if we just simply preach the effects of redemption, I'm sorry, no, if uh, if, we treat the, if we preach the historical facts of life and death of our Lord, they're conveyed in the in the New Testament, the words are sacred. We don't have to get all fancy about it. We just read the Bible, teach what it says, be very clear about the facts that Jesus is God, <laughs> that the Bible says what it does, even if you can get in the facts of, well, Israel on this date did this and they had this law and they had that law. God uses it. I mean, how many times have you and I have been listening to a message, um, especially in a church like Calvary Chapel, where they go verse by verse and it could be the most boring message on the outside. But man, God begins to hammer home these things to you about the deeper truths about who he is through the laws and through the through the things that they had to follow simply because it's God's word. And that's, that's what we need to focus on. No matter what happens as we grow older and as we go on in life and the opposition and persecution comes, we just need to remember the gospel is it. The gospel is it. We see that word of what's going on there is spreading. And so the church sends Barnabas to see what's going on. Barnabas kind of goes up there to check out what's going on. Uh, we hear about uh, these Gentiles coming to the Lord and about these other Jewish people up there coming to the Lord. And what does he find? He finds the grace of God. And I wonder, would people find the grace of God in our lives if they came to check it out? If they visited at work, if you visited me at work, would you find the grace of God? <laughs> Some days, I don't know. I hope so. Would they find it at Thanksgiving dinner in a couple of weeks when we're sitting around with our family? Would they find the grace of God in our lives? Even Sunday afternoon as we go from here and we do whatever we do on the rest of our Sunday afternoon, would they find the grace of God? Um, our fellowship here, would they find the grace of God when we talk, when we hang out, or and uh, in, in those things? Because... If not, I think, again, we're just living that refined religious lifestyle. We're living a life by law as opposed to really having that life which comes through repentance and getting rid of of our preconceived notions of what's right and wrong and letting God define those. But again, it's the evidence of God's work that when he goes and sees the grace of God, I think that's the evidence. Like we saw the vision and the word and the spirit and the direction, the confirmation and the accompaniment. We now find the evidence of God's work that there's grace there. And I think it's like the fragrance after the rain, you know, that ozone earthy smell that comes after a good rain in the spring. It's the same thing. When God begins to do something, you see the grace of God. And that's really um, sort of an evidence there. As uh, we get to a close here, we see that he encouraged them all with that purpose. That when uh, Barnabas gets there, he sees what's going on. He's blessed by it. He sees God working. So he encourages them, continue what you're doing. Um, You know, as a leader, I've heard about spiritual things going on. Um, I've asked, I've investigated, I've gone to see, you know, whether it was a Bible study or a worship night or other things going on or people tell me about different things that they were involved with. Um, And as I go and I see those things just to make sure that my friends are okay or that stuff that's going on in the church is legitimate um, uh, and I find that God's doing something and that there's a blessing there and God's pouring out a spirit and people are getting saved and the people involved are growing, encourage them in that. I encourage them, and I think we should too. When we begin to see God doing a work, whether it's in a different denomination or a different church, and, and God's doing something there, encourage them in that. Bless them, encourage them to keep doing what God is doing. Um, you know, we don't need to have our hands in everything, we don't need to be in control of everything. God's going to do it, and, and we don't always even have the right way of doing it. You know, if, if we think we have the perfect way of following God and we follow that for a long amount of time, eventually we're going to be so stale and stagnant like the religious Jews were that we miss the new work that God is doing. And again, I love Calvary Chapel. I love the way things are going, but I think sometimes I find within, the, within those certain walls that there are certain people who go, well, I would never go to that church. I would never listen to that type of music. I would never listen to a topical message. I'm like, is God doing something through it? Yeah, they're not exactly the same as us, but do they believe the core things of the scripture? Do they follow the core things? Would I agree with maybe everything they say on the outliers of the faith? Probably not. But on the core things, is is God working? Do I see God moving in great worship things and elsewhere? Yes. Um, that doesn't mean I'm wholeheartedly going to sell out on these other issues. Um, but sincerely, I think that you know if, if we get myopic on these things, we miss what God could be doing. But I love how the Bible describes Barnabas here, that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And those are probably the best qualities, uh, the most godly qualities that any man or woman could have, that they're good, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And this word good, as we close here, uh, just listen to this definition. It's of good constitution or nature. It's useful, salutatory, is good, pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy, excellent, distinguished, upright, honorable. This man was an encourager. This man was a blessing to be around. This man had the joy of the Lord in his life. He wasn't good on his own. He wasn't self-righteous, but he was good because God was in him and he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Where men he saw stuff God was doing and he was on board with it and he wanted to to believe the Lord but do any of these things speak of us do any of these things speak of us that would someone say we're a good man a full of the Holy Spirit and faith I don't know I don't know maybe a little bit he's kind of a good man on weekends he's a good man you know Uh, he's full of the Holy Spirit um, four days out of the week Uh, what is it you know, and I, I don't think they can be without the Holy Spirit's work and constant influence in our life. He must be the one uh, to make us good. And uh, here a couple more verses here that um, we'll just read up to, we'll read a couple more and see how fast we can get through it. But verse 25: Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought them to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. In verse 27, And in those days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Holy Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. You know, Barnabas now goes back to find Saul and he does, he brings uh, Saul into the picture, I think to help in a sense, pastor the church that was growing there. There was a lot of believers, there was a lot of disciples. And man, that's that's so true that there's a need for good ministers. And I don't mean minister in the clergy sense, but, but those who minister into the saints, that man, as the church begins to grow in the world, that man, God, and we need to encourage people and bless people and raise people up to minister to them. Those who are ministering, To encourage them to continue ministering and to minister more Um, again it's like we need to ratify the work that people are already doing in others lives and help them to carry that out but he teaches them and this is good bible teaching is key especially for people and we all need it no matter how old we are in the Lord. but if you're a new believer there's so many different things going through your mind of what's right and wrong you may not even realize but good teaching is such is such a good key thing at a young age Um, You know, it's like we teach kids in school as they grow up. That way, the rest of their life, they're prepared. That's the same thing. We need to have a good foundation of teaching. But they're there for a whole year. And again, I think sometimes we need to be prepared to go and stay for a period of time, um, which may be long in our minds. But I love how all free these guys were just to go about, to move about, and do the things of the Lord. You know, they go here. God calls them here. They go here. They stay there for a couple months. They go here for a year. They come back. God calls them here. Some believers ask for them to come help over here. And and they go, they're free to do these things. I love how free they are just to, to go about, to move about, and to do things to the Lord. I think of the, the younger single guys that um, I'm friends with up, uh, up in New York, who they would just take road trips every year, and they were free to go do whatever they wanted, because you know, their jobs were such where they could quit their job and get another job uh, waitering or whatever when they came back. Or they would go when they worked on a farm, and when the farm season was low, they would take trips and things. But man, are we that free? Are we that free? To, I'm not saying don't have a job or anything. I have a job for my family. But man, if God calls us to go somewhere, are we that free to go? Are we willing to say, okay, I'll leave my job? Okay, I'll take a weekend off. Oh, I'll, I'll take, you know, are we free to go? And I think that that ties back into the whole focus of our lives. Is that the focus of our lives? When God asks us to go, are we, well, I I have work, and this work thing is way more important. Not that we shouldn't be responsible to our job and, and figure something out, and if we can't get the time off, then maybe we just need to work. But what I'm saying is that the focus, and is that really the focus in the church today? And I'm afraid that it's not. I'm afraid that the church, not necessarily the church that we've come from, but I think if you take the bigger umbrella of the church, that it's not. That the church is not focused on the Lord anymore. That the church is focused on living that clean lifestyle of being relevant of having more tattoos and we've really missed the point of the Lord. You know, and I don't think revival is not going to come if we don't let it happen in our lives first. And the church really needs to get our focus back. But we see here that there was a famine and that God warned them about it through a prophet. This famine noticed came to the church through a prophet. And I think that's the same thing with us to our day and age that man, God might warn us that man, there's an, we look on and the world says, Oh, everything's fine. It's getting better. But we look on and go, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. That hard times are going to come. Whether it's an actual famine or not, I don't know. Whether it's an economic collapse, I don't know. Whether it's uh, just persecution, probably. But God is going to uh, warn us of these things. I think we need to take heed to them and be responsible with those warnings. Uh, but that when these famines do come, that when we have more to give to those who are in need. And again, as we're able. It, says, it doesn't say that they sold everything. It says, well, this guy had five bucks. This guy had ten bucks. This guy had... Uh, an extra gas can, he provided it. I remember when there was the hurricane, we uh, helped out the people on the Jersey Shore um, as much as we were able to. Um, and I hope that as God would bless us and as this church grows, is you know, I know that we're not uh, most of us uh, here aren't extremely affluent, and we would give as we're able, whether we have five bucks or ten bucks or a hundred bucks. But I think in general, the place where we live is very affluent compared to a lot of places in the world, and I pray that. As God blesses us and grows us, that man, he would use it to, uh, to bless those who are in need, uh, both personally and, and corporately. But Barnabas and Saul go back to Judea. They take it back to there. Um, and we'll see next time that state-sponsored persecution begins. But as we close for the third time, uh, repentance to life, right? You and I, we're saved. We know God. But I think there still needs to be repentance in my life. There still needs to be repentance in all of our lives, maybe, um, to get the full life that God has intended for us. I mean, just because we repent once is great, but I think our life needs to be a life of repentance, of, of turning to the Lord. You know, Revelation 2.5 says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. I don't know that, that those those strong words of Jesus are specifically pointed at you or I or today where we've fallen from the Lord so far that we need to repent or God's going to remove uh, the the lampstand from us. But I think that, man, we need to repent and we need to allow the Lord to bring us back to those first works. Like I said, I, I just felt led to get another Bible and start reading that again and reading it you know, in my downtime. Stuff that I used to do all the time, almost religiously, to a point where man, I, I probably need to get back to doing those things. Uh, not to make myself righteous, but man, that I might be more open to the things God would do uh, in, in my life and in our lives. So, uh, Father, we love you. And we thank you for the grace of the cross that we don't have to make ourselves righteous and that uh, we can't, but you do. So God, we repent of our sin. Please bring to mind the things that we need to repent of. Show us the way that we have to go. If we need to start doing things we used to do, to do them if we need to stop doing things we used to do that we would do them um, and do that Uh, but god would you bless uh, the rest of our day help us uh, to not just live a religious lifestyle but to live a life uh, full of you by your spirit god fill us i pray baptize us and bless all our friends and our sick ones and heal them and uh, god we pray bless our fellowship god whether you make us bigger bring us somewhere else god whatever you want to do um, or send us other places, whatever it is, God, your your will be done. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.